Thank you, guys. Don't normally typically get scheduled before I preach, but uh, Lord had that on purpose. And uh, it's just a privilege to preach here at BCM Chapel. I know I'm in front of you all a lot in choir in different, different times, but it is a privilege, uh, great privilege to stand here and preach and open the Word of God to you this morning. How many of you have had a really bad day? Okay, those of you that did not raise your hand will preach online next time I preach. You've all had a bad day, every single one of you. Uh, maybe some of you had a life, life take a wrong turn. You know, all of your best laid plans completely fall apart. Maybe some of you are saying to yourself, you know, how did he know about my morning? <laughs> how did he know about what happened to me today? Okay, we've all had days where nothing goes right. I've had this. I was um, kind of uh, known as the guy in my family that has sad stories. So I've told probably a lot of them to you guys in different times of choir or whatever. But I am, I am full of stories that are just, they're just, they're, they're funny, but they're sad at the same time. Uh, we were going, we were in Europe uh, after Paul Rain's uh, wedding. My wife and I took a couple days in Europe, and we're driving, and we were in uh, Switzerland overnight, and we wanted to get, we wanted to see France, and I wanted to see Mount Blanc, which is the highest mountain in Europe, and I wanted to see it. And we were driving into Italy; it's all real close right there. And uh, when we got hung up uh, in Switzerland doing something, I can't remember what it was, and locations were pretty close, but we started to drive, and by the time we got into France, we are way up into the mountains, it was dark, okay? It was dark, it was running out of gas, we were running out of gas, we were in the French Alps, literally in the middle of nowhere, I couldn't find a gas station to save my life, and we couldn't have seen Mount Blanc if it was literally right on the side of the road. It was pitch black. And, uh, you know, nothing at all was going right. And then to add insult to injury, went through a t we're going through a tunnel to go under Mount Blanc. And I saw the sign, and it said five euros. I'm like, oh, that's what it costs to go into the tunnel. That's right. And by that time, the euros and dollars were the same. I'm like, okay, we're, we're okay. So I'm reaching in my, I reached in my pocket and pulled out a five euro uh, note or whatever it was. And the lady taps, very upset. She taps it. I missed it. Above that, it said 45 euro. So here I am, the day has gone really bad, and I just shelled out 50 bucks to go, you know, I don't even know, I think it's 10 miles under this, under the mountain I wanted to see in the middle of the night. Didn't even know if I was going to make it through that tunnel uh, with, uh, with the gas I had. We coasted into a gas station just outside Turin, Italy, and we made it. But it was a bad day all around. All the best laid plants were blown to pieces. You know, I, I've had several of those times, probably have told the story of when I uh, was at the Gilmore's house back when I was a teenager, ate 18 tacos, 17 tacos, a lot of tacos. That was a lot of tacos for one day. That was just a side note to the story. And um, it was a birthday party for somebody. And my sister asked me to go get her planner out of the car, and so I ran under, under the garage door. Yeah, the garage door was broken about halfway like this. I ran under the garage door. It's dusk, and the garage door is black at the time, before their house is now it is. So I went under the garage door, went to the uh, car, got my sister's planner, and as a very enthusiastic junior hire, completely forgot about the garage door and ran smack right into the garage door, slammed into it face first, full speed, and then full speed onto the ground, no protection on the back of my head, boom, I was out, like a light. Completely, like completely out. And uh, some of these guys were there, I think he was in the, in the house at the time, uh, the Gilmore boys were there. I was babbling incoherently for four hours, asking the same questions over and over, and uh, I had massive bruises and, and facial lacerations. Had to go to school two days later. Can you imagine? What happened to you? Ran to a garage door. 
you know, if, it was th if I'm 31 now, I'd laugh. I don't care. I'm a junior high, folks. That, you know, you're trying to be cool by wearing your white Nike Adidas socks you know, to school. Your day is in bad shape if your face is blown up by a garage door, okay? So we're in bad You know, I heard a story about a couple of seals, animals, who had a really bad day. There was a, uh, they, they were rehabilitating some seals after the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska, and the average cost of rehabilitating it was $80,000 per seal. So, yeah, you know. So at a special ceremony, two of the most expensively saved animals were being released back into the wild amid cheers and applause from onlookers, and a minute later, in full view, a killer whale ate them both. <laughs> That's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> but you know, don't, don't you feel like sometimes your life feels like that? Everything's planned out, and then a minute later, the killer whale eats it all. You know, <coughs> we can have bad days. And a lot of times you can, they're humorous and you can joke about them. But there was a young man in the Bible who not only had one bad day, but his entire life as a young man was totally and completely turned upside down forever. If it could go wrong, it did. We're talking about Joseph, the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob. He went through hurt after hardship, after trial, after injustice, after misunderstanding, after attack. A life full of horribly Horrible, horrible things, humanly. And how does he react? Well, he trusts God. I don't think you can dream up a story worse than Joseph's. We're going to talk about it. I know you know the story, but I want you to kind of, kind of blank it from your mind and, and, and kind of see it in a new way. Because this story really shows you what God's all about. Who God is. Genesis chapter 50, please. Genesis chapter 50. This is the end of the, of the story, and I just told you to wipe the story from your mind. Please remember it for one minute before you do that. The story of Joseph, he, you know, he sold, we'll go back there and look at this, but he sold the slavery, he goes to Egypt, all these different things happen by his brothers. And in Genesis, or Exodus, Genesis, excuse me, chapter 50, we meet him after his father has died. In the later part of this chapter, you see the brothers very, very nervous. I would have been too. Because not only is he their brother that they, unjust, they, they were very unjust towards, they were wrong, horribly wrong towards, he's also one of the most powerful men in the world at the moment. He could have just gone like that and wiped him off the face of the earth. He could have. And so, in verse 17, they send a, 16 and 17, they send a messenger to Joseph, and they're just, you know. And at the end of 17, Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brothers went to fell down before his face, verse 18, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And verse 19, Joseph said unto them, Fear not. Why are you coming to me? For am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me. You, you were going to do wrong against me. But God meant it unto good. You hear what, I'm just, what we just read? We know this verse, but get it in your minds. Let me just sing that song, Pastor Swanson. But that lady who lost her father, ye thought evil against me. It doesn't seem right. And maybe it's not right humanly. But God meant it unto good. What? To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. He had a plan. Now, there, now look what he says. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Wow. 
This is Joseph, who literally was wronged more than we could even imagine. He was threatened with death by his brothers. He was thrown to a pit, sold to slavery, wrongly accused of immorality, forgotten in prison, but he trusted God each time. Somebody looks at us wrong, and we literally hold a grudge and think the world's falling apart for the next, you know, the next two years. Some authority says something you think might not be the right thing and you perceive to be unjust. And young people, this generation turns their whole world upside down because it's perceived to be wrong. Joseph literally almost died multiple times, was split up from his family, and it doesn't get much worse than that. But he, you literally have to dream up a set of circumstances worse than this. You know, you look at Job and Daniel and Paul, other characters in the Bible, that literally their hardships and trials of their life are unbelievable, literally, in the literal sense of the term. And they could have easily turned away from God, but they chose to trust Him. So what about you? Recently, we've come to the conference. We've come through Good Preacher. We've, we've come through Spring Break. We go through times of Testimony Chapel, and you hear people thanking God. Maybe you've had times where you've really been on track with what God has, but I want to, rubber meets the road today, I want to really get down to brass tacks. Are you thankful? Are you joyful? Are you trusting God even when it doesn't make sense? When life doesn't make sense, remember God's plans are always good. Trust Him and respond right in every situation of life. Let me say that again. When life doesn't make sense, remember God's plans are always good. You believe that? Trust Him and respond right in every situation of life. I want to look at two key points about God's plan today and then close with what our response should be to those plans. Number one, the mystery of God's plan for my life. Life just doesn't make sense, Mr. Van. It, 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 it just doesn't make sense. You know, maybe you've asked yourself, why is God's plan a mystery to me? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, because God is God. His ways are above our ways. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your, your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Job 36, 26, Behold, God is great, and we know him not. Neither can the number of his years be searched out. Romans 11, 33, 34, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? You know, in, in some senses, we, we, we can't know what God has, especially at the moment of what happens. His ways are far above our ways. He's God. He's created this in, in an unbelievable world. And you see what happens, and you see how the intricacies of, 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 of how things work, and then just watching a life come to be. It's amazing, this little, you know, a little, little person and you know, it survives inside of a mother's womb, and then it comes out, and it's so helpless. But all the little pieces of that body are there. You know, if it's a if it's a whole human being without any problems, my little my little boy, he's got all the pieces there. Everything's working. His little lungs and his, everything's working like it should be. That's amazing. God does that. We we can even make robots that come, you know, fractionally close to what this what a little baby does, without even thinking. It just does it. It's just amazing what it does. God did that. Well, we can't even fathom his ways. God's, God is God. On the other side, we're human. We're, in, we're finite beings, and we're selfish. We see things only for ourselves a lot of times, don't we? I have a two-year-old daughter. Life is very much wrapped up about Lauren, right? She's in the stage right now, and we are <laughs> dealing with it. But she's in the stage right now. If Don't be offended if she does this to you. Come and say, hi, Lauren. She goes, Rawr. 
Selfishness. But if you ask her about her kitchen she got for her birthday, she'll turn around and talk to you. You know why she wants to talk to you? Because it's about her things. She's selfish as it all get out. I love her to death, but she's selfish. You know, she, I gave her oatmeal for breakfast with raisins and cinnamon. She, like, she loves that, but she wants Rice Krispies. She calls them pop, pop, and pop. You know, I, I, you know, she doesn't know the nutritional you know, value of either one versus the other, but she wants that. You know, and dad says, no, ma'am, I'm not going to have it this morning. She'll throw a fit, and that's the last fit she threw in the morning. But it's called selfishness. Yo, she's two. We're 20. Do we still throw fits? Are we still selfish? Why do you think we don't know what God's plan is for our life? Because we throw our little fits in our mind. Well, God didn't do it the way I wanted it. When's the last time he had to do it the way you wanted it? Right? You know, and I say this kind of in, in jest, but maybe you needed a few more spankings growing up. You know, maybe you need to learn that your life didn't revolve around you. Life is about God and his will. Right? I told my daughter, and she's young, and she gets this. Lauren, I ask her, who's in charge? And if she's on track, she goes, Daddy. When she's not, she looks at me dead in the eyes and goes, Lauren. That's a problem. Okay? So she may not understand, and to this little girl, she may not understand the mystery of, of wow, what, what, what's going on and why she can't have pop, pop, and pop in the morning for breakfast every time. But Daddy knows, you know, far more. God knows exactly. But God is God. He's far above us. And we're so selfish, and sometimes we get so wound up on who we are. And why is God, let me ask this question, why is God's plan so hard sometimes? You think, man, I understand God is, is good, but, man, he's really, if I didn't think differently, I, somebody's got it out for me. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had that thought process? It's not right, but you ever had that thought process? Everything's going wrong. I mean, literally, my life is a big line of dominoes. I can't stop it. Everything is going wrong. I mean, I literally, I mean, and the, and the dumb things, too. You know what I'm saying? It's not just the Greek test you failed. Like, you ran out of toothpaste. Like, that's a small thing, but then you can't find your sock, right? Like, the one fresh pair of socks you had left. It's gone, you know? And some roommate used your deodorant on accident, you know? I don't know. I mean, you name it. Every little thing has gone wrong. Then you stub your toe. You slam your finger in the door. The breakfast is gone because you got there late. Everything happened wrong. You failed your test, and you're looking at me going, I have, really? You have no idea. Sometimes, and I'm, I'm, being, I'm being, that's silly. There are a lot bigger things in life, and I think you know that. But why is God's plan so hard for me? Well, because for your growth. You know, I used to be very, and I'm going to give an illustration about my daughter because that's just where I'm at right now with some of these things. My little, little daughter, Lauren, she's very smart, very talkative, all these things, but she's not very coordinated. Um, I think she's just, she's, she's grown so fast and she's got a very heavy head. And she has my head and my wife's neck. Not a great combination for coordination, especially when she falls, it's just, you know, <laughs> watch her. It's bad, okay? So, but when I, early in her life, I was one of those like dads, I'm a very protective guy for my wife and my family. And so I would dive and try to catch her and stuff. I don't do that anymore, except when she's in, in, in threat of serious pain. <laughs> um, <coughs> why? Somebody answer. I know this is typ not typical for Chad. Somebody answer. Why do I not do that? Yes. Yeah, and she has to learn what it means to the pain, right? Things happen like that. Life is not just daddy catching you all the time. Daddy catching you. Sometimes God allows the pain. Why? Because it grows you up. 
It teaches you. It matures you. God knows. It's for your growth. My daughter would never grow. You would never have grown if, I, if you were treated like a baby all the time. If somebody fed you with a spoon every meal till you're, you know, 10 years old. My daughter, we just gave it to her. She just oatmeal everywhere. She'll like, hey, messy, daddy, messy hands. I'm thinking, how am I going to get that off your hands, you know? <laughs> Things everywhere. I mean, toilet paper everywhere, everything. Sometimes she has to learn that life can't be this messy, and she doesn't like it, and so we get it off, and she grows, okay? A lot of times, life, God allows the things in life for your growth and your maturity. Just like Job, it's a test to see if you're trusting God. to make you stronger spiritually. Look at Joseph's life, okay? This is the thing that, this is what, what happened in Joseph's life. Number one, he had family rejection. Let's look at Genesis chapter 37, please. Genesis chapter 37. And verses 3 to 11, we won't read it all for time's sake. Verses 3 to 11, four times, I believe four times, <coughs> his brothers literally either said they hated him or they envied him. That is not a great position to be in as a brother. Very blessed to have great brothers. Um, and my brother, <coughs> Stephen and I especially, Wayne as, as well. But Stephen, very close. Um, and, and he was a great brother. We had our squabbles, obviously, but as any brothers will do. But great brothers, okay? We never, he never looked at me and said, I hate you. Or wanted to kill me. But Joseph, literally, through this 3 to 11, he was rejected by his brothers. I mean, literally rejected by 10. Not just a, a one brother. Can you imagine a whole army of brothers? Rejecting him, hating him. You look at verse, um, verse number 4. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Verse 5, and Joseph dreamed a dream and told his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Verse number 8, <coughs> brethren said, shall thou, have, shall thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Verse 11, and his brethren envied him. <coughs> That's pretty tough. Family rejection. But not only family rejection, he had physical hurt, threat of death. Thrown into pit, Genesis 37, 17 to 24. This part is pretty incredible that a, a, a band of brothers like this would take a, a younger brother, I don't know how old he was, throw him into a pit, want to kill him. He was, you know, uh, sent to slavery. Reuben, Reuben said, no, let's not shed any blood. Let's cast him in this pit. You know, oh, that's great. Great, older brother. That's, that's a great way to lead out here in the family. Let's not do that. Why don't we just get him out of the pit and take him? Hope God had it all planned out. They just look at this chapter, this, this, this part, 1724, and they're, they're conspiring against him. Let's slay him. Let's put him in the pit. No, let's, let, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's do that. There are all these, these things they're thinking about. And here's Joseph going, what did I do? This is horrible. Can you imagine the injustice that, he's, that could have been going through his mind? It's crazy. Number three here, total humiliation. Not only threat of death, not only thrown into a pit, not only all these fears of what's going to happen to him, then they take him and chuck him into slavery. They sell him into slavery. What an incredibly humiliating thing. Verses 27 and 28. These band of Midianites merchantmen coming on the way to Egypt. And they sold their brother. Lift him out of the pit. Verse 28. And sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Like a piece of meat. Total humiliation. Well then slandered character. He gets to Egypt. He's already a slave. But this guy, we're going to talk about this in a moment. He is on track. Joseph did not bow to the injustice. Joseph did not get affected by bitterness. Joseph trusted God every step of the way. We'll see why in a, in a moment. But here he is in, verse, in chapter 39. 
verses 11 to 20, this whole time, <coughs> this whole chapter about Potiphar's wife. Can you imagine? He's put in charge of the entire house of Potiphar, the captain of the guard. It's pretty high-level slave job, okay? He's a slave. He's still uh, under that uh, bondage, but he's in charge of that. He was so trusted that Potiphar just left it in his hand. That's incredible, okay? But then here comes Potiphar's wife, and this was a wicked culture. I mean, this is the culture of Egypt, and these, some of these places where Daniel and these different guys had to go. The culture is, I mean, <coughs> it's wicked here, but just the pervasive culture where they lived was, would have been just awful. The, the dress, the, just the, the immorality just rampant around them. And here he comes, or she comes, and she tries to seduce Joseph into losing his purity. And Joseph doesn't sort of kind of maybe say no, right? We know the story. Joseph left the garment, he left his garment in her hand, verse 12, and fled and got him out. Because of that, and that's not the message, that's a whole other message in itself, but because of that, that, that purity, that following of God, what happened? Potiphar's wife totally, totally slanders his character, Potiphar believes her. Maybe, I don't know if he totally believed her. Maybe he was, maybe he was thinking, okay, if I don't do it, we'll, I mean, we'll go wrong. But I don't know. But Potiphar chucks him in prison. And now he experiences complete abandonment. Genesis chapter 40, verses 14 and 15. After Joseph gave the dreams to the butler and the baker, verse 14 but think on me when it shall be with, well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out, uh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have I done nothing, but they should put me in the dungeon. He's talking to the, to the butler here. The, but, the baker's killed, verse number 23, but yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. So here he is. It's the end of it. I mean, he's, the, he's in a, probably a filthy prison. And he's just completely abandoned. Think about <coughs> if something like that happened to you. We, we, we literally think that our life is really bad off. And in, and in comparison, we've just jammed our fingers. Right? I mean, Joseph's life... He had no, he literally had no guarantee that he was going to see Joseph again, or Jacob again, his father. He had no guarantee he would see his younger brother Benjamin again. He had no guarantee that he would see anybody of his family. He had no idea what was going to happen. Every day was a mystery to him, right? Every day, humanly, was dark. Every day was horrible, humanly. Nothing was right. He was, it was unjust. His brothers and now Potiphar's wife, and then the butler forgot him. And here he is stuck in the prison in a horrible spot. And he trusts God. You know, there's stories, you, you've heard stories of uh, different people in the past, but Corey Tenboom, there's a lot of stories about Corey Tenboom, but the story, how many of you have ever heard the story of the fleas, Corey Tenboom? A lot of you have. I won't go into it, for obviously, for, for a lot of reasons, but for time's sake. Uh, but she goes to that prison camp, and they go into their, their, their side of the, uh, the camp, their, their building, and what do they find? All over their beds, fleas. Just an infestation of them. 
And her sister, Betsy, I believe her name, was, she said, okay, we're going to trust God. We're going to thank God for the fleas. And I don't remember the exact quote, but Corey said, like, yeah, right. <laughs> I am not praising God for this. This is horrible. I mean, I'm already in the, I mean, she, you know, she's very candid in her, um, her thoughts. I, I love how she just puts out there what she was thinking. And, you know, <clears throat> and we'll come back to the, the good parts of that story in a, in a second. But you're going to a Nazi concentration camp. It's already bad enough. Then you're laying in filth, and you have fleas everywhere. The whole thing is infestated with fleas. It's a horrible thing. I mean, it just was completely devastating. We've looked at the, first of all, the mystery of, of, of God's plan for our life, and sometimes what, what it doesn't make sense. Number two here, the revelation of God's plan for my life. There'll be a time in your life that God will reveal to you the mystery of his plans for your life. God did this for Joseph. Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41, verse number 9, after Pharaoh dreamed, all of a sudden, Butler said, hey, I remember. Look at verse number 9. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth to the servants and put me in the war and the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, and I and he, we dreamed each other, each man, according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was with us a young man, a Hebrew, served to the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man, according to his dream, he did interpret. It came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was so. Me he restored unto mine office, and him he hanged. He remembers it. Joseph did this for us. And Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in under Pharaoh. Can you imagine? Joseph, literally all the shame, all the humiliation, all the injustice, all the horrible things that have happened. And in literally in minutes, he shaved, changed the clothes, boom, in front of the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh looks at Joseph. He said to Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, verse 15, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. I love Joseph's response. Right out of the horrible dungeon of that prison and his whole life upside down, he looks at Pharaoh. And you know what? Some of us would be like, I don't even want to give you an interpretation. You know what I'm saying? Some of us get reactive. Something happens, we just lash back. I don't even care if it's good. I don't even want that now. You ever had that reaction? Oh, don't look at me so piously. You know what I'm talking about? Where life has gone bad, then think something happens good, and you're so ticked about it going bad that you just throw out the good too? We get very childish in our reactions. Joseph shows that his reactions and we'll see this in just a moment, we're on track the whole time. Because when the minute he comes out, Pharaoh asks him this, and he says, I can't do it, but God will give it. God will give the interpretation. And Pharaoh gives the, gives the dream, and he interprets the dream. God's plan is perfect because he knows the future. You know, <coughs> Joseph was put in the place he was put because God knew there was going to be a famine. And God knew that was all going to happen perfectly for Joseph to be there. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, said the Lord, thought, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. God, the Creator, knows what's coming. We may see the present circumstances. We may be overwhelmed by what's happening in front of our eyes, right there. Think life is not worth living, but God knows what's coming. Remember that God sees the future. Think about this. God's plan for Joseph 
included some incredible hands-on leadership training experience, didn't it? Seriously. He ran Potiphar's house. He ran the prison as, as the top prisoner there. He was a leader. He had leadership training, and then he was thrown from the prison directly to right under Pharaoh, one of the top leaders of Egypt. That helped him. God knows what he's doing. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe these promises of God? Do you believe what God says? Do you believe that God is always good, that God's plans are always good, that he will work everything out together for good? Do you believe that? God knew the famine was coming. God knew that Jacob and his family would be affected by the famine. And so God allowed all these things to happen to Joseph. Why? To hurt Joseph? No. To put Joseph, his chief servant, his choice servant, in the exact spot in the world so he could help his family. Unbelievable, isn't it? And to think that they came down there and the whole thing, the prophecies, I mean, everything, everything came. It's just amazing how God worked everything out. God knows the future. You know, Joseph says this himself in chapter 45 of Genesis, chapter 45, verses 5 through 8, when he's talking to his, to his brothers. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity. God did this. Don't be in, God sent me to preserve life. It was not you that sent me hither, but God. I mean, that's what he's saying. He could have been so bitter. No, God did this. God did this. God did this. And verse, obviously in chapter 50, where he said this is what God did. Incredible, incredible, incredible that Joseph just trusted God every step of the way. Young person, let me look at, let me, let me, let me, for your second, I want you to look at your own life. There are things that have gone wrong, probably, practically, maybe in your schooling, maybe in your school bills, maybe in the dorm, maybe something you perceive as an injustice with a demerit, maybe something you perceive as whatever, you name it, with a, with a dorm mate, with an authority, with your parents back at home, with your siblings, Something's happened. Maybe it's a trial. Maybe a, a, a relative has died or something's happened. And that maybe financially, your, your family's upside down or something's happening. And we don't know the, the, the first of it. God's plan is perfect. He knows the future. But not only God's plan is it perfect, it's perfect because he loves me. Oswald Chambers said, Faith means whenever I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to the belief, my belief, that God is love. There are only some things learned in a fiery furnace. God is love. We know that. You know, you look at John 3.16. He sent his son to, to die for us. Limitations 3, 21 to 23, it is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You believe that? We sing the song. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. An amazing thing. Jeremiah 31, 3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yeah, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Psalms 86, 15, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. That's a song in Elijah by one of the soloists. 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Romans 8, 38 to 39, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe those verses? We can say yes, but I'm telling you, when you go through the trials like Joseph went to, that's when we find out when we truly believe what God says. That's when we, we get the bill in the mail. We get something, some news, and it literally smacks us, and it spins us around, and our world turns upside down. 
What's our first reaction going to be? You know, Corey Tenboom, the fleas were a horrible thing, adding on to this horrible existence in this concentration camp. But as you know the end of the story, not to go into full detail, but the guards left him alone and they're serving, or they're, they're worshiping of God because they would not enter that wing of the prison camp. Because of the infestation of fleas, they were left alone to worship their God in peace, which did not happen in a camp like that. God knew. <laughs> he knew every time. God will reveal what he wants to do. You look at Jim Elliott. That was a pretty horrible thing that happened to Jim Elliott and his, and his brethren, killed by the Aka Indians. But the will of God was revealed, and you look at now, Pastor Gilmore getting to meet one of the killers. Saved. You know, seeing what God's done. It's amazing. Hundreds, thousands of people saved because of that sacrifice. It doesn't look right, does it? It looks almost unjust. It's like, it doesn't make sense. But God always has a plan, and he will reveal it. So, lastly here, what should our response be to the trials in our life? Number three, the acceptance of God's plan for my life. The acceptance of God's plan for my life. And I want to <coughs> spend a minute right here. Number one, reject bitterness and discouragement. You know, trials really reveal our true character, young people. It's like a tube of toothpaste, right? The greater the pressure, the greater the oozing, right? My daughter's found out what toothpaste tubes do. You know, you know I'm talking about? You find out what's inside, right? You push it, and typically toothpaste comes out of a toothpaste tube, hopefully. Huh. Hope nothing else comes out. You know, you're squeezed. And out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaketh. Well, I didn't mean to say that. I've said those things a lot. My authorities heard me say that growing up. Well, I didn't mean to say that, but you did. You didn't make it up. Where did it come from? Well, I, it, I don't know. A bitter heart. That's where it came from. I didn't really mean to be upset. I didn't mean to lash out. I'm just having a bad day. That didn't happen overnight, folks. God's going like this to the toothpaste tube of your life. And what's coming out? Ugliness, bitterness, darkness. Reject bitterness and discouragement. Joseph rejected bitterness. He rege and we know this because of, number one, he stood strong against temptation. Potiphar's wife, he could never have run from temptation if he was overwhelmed with bitterness and discouragement. Um, Hebrews 12, 15, and 16 speaks of a, what happens to a bitter man, turns into a fornicator or a profane man, and, there, and other people are defiled. Joseph stood up to temptation. I'm telling you right now, if you live in bitterness, and you live in discouragement, and you're upset at life, what's going to happen? By the way, you could have not been upset with life two months ago, or as recently as conference. But does life happen quickly? One day, life can hit you in the face. I'm telling you right now that the temptations will come, the pressures will come of life. Joseph stood against it. He did not have bitterness in his life. God was with Joseph. Many times you see in the scripture here, it says God was with Joseph. And then seeing Joseph's compassion for his family. That's an amazing thing. I know some of you have been hurt in your life. We talked, Dr. Jim has talked much about those things. Joseph was hurt more than you could times 100 in your life. And Joseph was compassionate to his family. At the end there, he spoke kindly to him. He was kind to his brothers. He, was, he wept. Can you imagine? His reaction could have been, get out of here. You wicked, horrible people. Get out. I don't want to see you again. He could have done that. 
and humanly he would have been justified. But he wept. He had to leave the room. He was so overwhelmed with emotion. Those are my brothers. Come here. That's incredible. No bitterness there. At the end, the grand, his nephews and nieces, you know, the, the next generation, he was right there and he was taking care of their children. He even had the power to do anything he wanted to do, and he didn't do it. No bitterness. Reject bitterness and discouragement and choose thankfulness and joy. There was one of Napoleon's generals, Messina, I'm not sure how to say it, but suddenly appeared with 18,000 men before an Austrian town which had no means of defense. The town council had nearly decided to surrender when the old dean of the church reminded them that it was Easter and begged them to hold services as usual and to leave the trouble in God's hands. This they did, and the French, hearing the church bells ringing joyfully, concluded that an Austrian army had come to relieve the place and quickly broke camp. Before the bells ceased ringing, all the Frenchmen had vanished. The trials vanished when joy and thankfulness came. The greatest weapon we have, young people, in each trial and hardship is thankfulness and joy. And a lot of you have heard me talk about this all year long. Haven't you, kids, today? I harp on this every Sunday morning. <laughs> We're going to have trials. It's going to come. What is your reaction? What is your first reaction when bad things happen? Stub your toe. Your pinky toe. You know what I'm talking about? You're walking around. Life is great. Everything's just, I mean, life is just peaches and cream. Boof! And you go, wow, that feels awesome. <laughs> wow, I am just so happy. Right? If you do that, tell me what <laughs> goes through your mind. Because, ah! Right? And then you like, look at the thing to kick it, you know, again. You ever kick something again? Like you just stub your toe and kick it with the other toe? And, ah, you know. Why, Dr. Jim, I talked about it. Why do you whack the, the inanimate object that, that hurts you? It didn't hurt you. You hurt yourself because you were so clumsy, right? You walk into a cabinet, ah, poof, ow, oh. <laughs> I've broken things, you know, before, like broken, and then I have to fix it, and I, I have hurting in two places, and it's just, ah. Life just goes bad fast, okay? It's very hard to choose thankfulness and joy when you hurt yourself, okay? I get that. But what's your first reaction in life? When something happens, not, I'm not saying five minutes, okay, I'm, I need to go pray about this. And, or like, you talk to your you know, roommate, somebody's like, can I help you? No, no, give me, I need time. Is that, is that biblical? I think Joseph says, give me time, give me time. I gotta sort this through. You have no idea, I gotta sort this through. I gotta go pray about this. <laughs> he didn't need to pray about it. You know what he did? Thanks. I have no idea what's going on, but this, okay, thank you, Lord. Why is it that we can't just look at the Lord and say, you know what, this bill doesn't make any sense. Thank you, Lord. This merit doesn't make any sense. Thank you, Lord. You're teaching me something. I need this. You know, that, that, this problem doesn't make any sense. That situation, you took my relative away, or they're sick, or this person. I don't get it, God. I tried so hard in this test, and I failed it. I worked, worked hard, and they gave me a bad grade. I don't know what's going on. I can't work this relationship out. Everything's going bad, but God, thank you. I love you. I always uh, love hearing Brother Ingram pray. He ends his prayers with, and I know it's true, I love you. That's what he says. He doesn't say in Jesus' name. He just says, I love you, amen. And it comes from a true heart. I know Brother Ingram, he cries a lot. He, he, God just has broken him. I love his, his testimony of his life. He just says, I love you. What is, is, that, is that our life? You know, Dr. Jim gave an illustration about himself. of like, oh, man, you know, or history, you know. That's what I sometimes, oh, man, this is horrible. This is horrible. It's is that what we do? So easy. James 1, 2-4, My brother, count it all joy 
when you fall into diverse temptation. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks. By the way, these are commands, not suggestions. 1 Peter 1.6-9, where you greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth. And going through this whole thing, joy unspeakable, rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Philippians 4 or 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, bow, thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, Mr. Van, you don't know my life right now. I don't have many things to give thanks for. Yes, you do. You're saved. If you can't be thankful about that, I mean, put it strongly, you are an ungrateful wretch. <laughs> and so am I. If we, I know God doesn't do anything good for me. He saved you. That right there should stop us in our tracks and look, make us look at the most ungrateful people ever. You know, when something bad happens to somebody, my, I don't know if you heard, but my grandma took a really nasty fall yesterday. Pray for her. She has 14 staples in her head. Um, broke her shoulder. Really not good, actually. Uh, she's at the hospital right now. Those things happen. I look at my wife and I go, why did I complain about that? Here's my 89-year-old grandmother laying on the floor for over an hour. Couldn't get anybody to help. Couldn't get a hold of anybody. Laying there, clawed her way up to get a phone. Tough as nails. Never lost consciousness. And as happy as she's being wheeled out the door. I would have given up and said, like, just take me now. She's in great spirits. She's got bloody hair and all messed up. Her face is swollen. I got a picture of her at the hospital grinning from ear to ear. And literally, we stub our toe in life and everything goes off the rails. We're saved. We have eternal life. God hears your prayers. You have a living Savior. You're loved unconditionally. You receive blessings from God. God takes care of your needs. You have a church who cares for you. You have a pastor who has compassion for you. The list could go on and on. If you can't think of something to get, be thankful for, there's something right there. Open the Word of God and look at that. There you can be thankful for. You have amazing blessings, don't you? We get so blinded by the little things in life, and they might be big too. But compared to what God has for you and the blessings He had, He's trying to teach you something. Choose thankfulness and joy. And the number three here, trust God's goodness. Genesis chapter 50, and <coughs> we're done. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it under, or God meant it unto good. Joseph chooses to focus on God's goodness. He choos chooses to trust that God was in control. He chooses to trust the goodness of his God. God really does have your best in mind. He really does. In every situation, God wants to draw you closer to himself. Psalms 34, 8, O taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. We already read Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good that them that love God. Psalms 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. Our church's verse here. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. James 1, 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Psalm 145, 9. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. Do you believe that? Let me close with a verse, or with a, with a poem, and then a verse. My sister, Mrs. Williams, 
wrote a poem about Joseph in 2010. It's a little bit, not longer, but it's got a few verses. I want you to read it, or listen to it as I read it. As on that lonely path I walked with weary, dusty feet, a painful cry suppressed within, my heart longed to retreat. But no, in ropes I walked forth, bound, my future now unknown, and to this land I did not know I walked that path alone. Oh, all around the crowd was thick with merchants, slaves, and wares, yet all alone I walked this path with none to share my cares. They did this evil unto me, they put me on this path, the ones that here on earth I loved outpoured their cruel wrath. In mockery of the desert sun, beat hard upon the land, reflecting visions of my dreams, mirages in the sand. And from cracked lips my cry arose, directed to the sky, those dreams from you shall wither here, thirst my soul shall die. With every labored step I took, my wounded soul grew numb. Life as I knew, a fading mist, fate's slave I had now become. But as I walked, the love of God upon my path did shine. And his own loving, tender voice spoke to this heart of mine. Oh, Joseph, do not fear this path that I have made for you. The promises I've given you, doubt not, they shall come true. And he did give him those dreams. At these great words I paused, confused. I could not understand how this path caused by hateful strife was formed by God's own hand. Then whistling through my wondering thoughts, the driver's whip did crack and pushed me forward on the path, pain searing through my back. Now violently my thoughts swirled around as dust on traveled trail, but then God's voice like calming wind dispelled the hazy veil. Look not behind, O weary one, at hurt which brought you here, nor look so down upon the path, the present trial to fear, but only look ahead in faith and trust I am your God. Hold tight the dreams I've given you. Look upward as you plod. Now from this view, the path I see, the journey understood that they thought evil unto me, but God meant it for good. Psalm 118, 30-32, we end with this verse. As for God, his way is perfect. Do you believe that? The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all that trust in him. For who is God, saith the Lord, or who is a rock, saith our God, our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. Young people, God's plan is always good. When life doesn't make sense, God's plan is always good. Let's trust him today. Every head bowed, every eye closed.